it's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. All righty, everybody. Welcome back to uh, yet again another agriculture conversation here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. Uh, we are catching up with folks here at the 2022 Mate Show. That's Montana Agri-Trade Exposition in Billings, Montana. And uh, it's great to be back in person with everyone, especially after uh, two years of uh, not really having anything uh, uh, big <laughs> uh, gathering-wise. But uh, it's great to see folks from all over Montana, Wyoming, the Dakotas uh, traveling here to Metro Park in Billings, Montana. And one of those folks we were able to catch up with is uh, rancher Casey Mott. And uh, Casey, uh, how's it coming down here to the, the trade show? How's it feel to be face-to-face with folks? I have not been to the Mate Show for probably a dozen years, um, mostly because I've uh, been calving heifers yeah. for the last dozen years, and this year, because of the drought and price of hay, we um, family decided to go a different route with that, and I took in some older cows. We're not calving at this time of year, so because of that, I was able to come to the Mate, and that's kind of nice. Yeah. You know, it's uh, I'd always remembered it as it's a... It's kind of nice, you know, mid-February, you come to Billings, and you get to see people. It's uh, probably spent two months worth of just feeding and chopping water, and (laughs) (laughs) things are getting a little boring out on the ranch, so it's kind of nice to come to town to to see some people, and and already, you know, I've just been here a couple hours, seen quite a few folks I know. Um, There's a lot of things, some... uh, a lot of new products out there, a lot of old ones that I'd like to buy, a lot of new ones that uh, you kind of, if I had an unlimited checkbook, this would be, that is like a kid in a toy store. It's like Chuck E. Cheese for farmers and ranchers, but you can buy stuff. That's right. That's well, heck, right. Your, your banker might be wandering the halls here, too, so maybe you could, uh, you know, ask for, you know, a bigger little <laughs> operator loan. How about that? That's true, but, uh, yeah, remember we were talking about drought and price of hay. <laughs> I think maybe I'm going to play things a little closer to the vest this year and uh, not be so... Not be such a spendthrift. Yeah, well, again, so that, that's the, the one thing, especially our booth here, the Western Ag Network booth, is truly right when it, it comes in here to the Expo Hall. And uh, the, the number one questions I've been getting asked is, where did the $52 million from JBS go? That, that's been the number one question yeah. uh, in their uh, settlement of that uh, court case. And uh, also, uh, have you heard of any uh, pasture for, for lease? That, that's been the, probably the number one question I've been getting from folks. Well, I can understand it because it's a, um, I've been doing a bit of asking of that myself. So, Lane, you heard any pasture for lease? <laughs> I have. I may have some. I might, we might have to just auction off what that AUM is going to go for. But, uh. <laughs> yes, indeed. But, uh, yeah, tough year. But, uh I, I'm a little surprised because the other thing I've heard is uh, uh, figures of upwards of 40% of the cattle have left mm-hmm. this country, and to me that would uh, that would mean that there's some opportunities out there. That, uh, but I guess when you're in the grip of a pretty pretty tough situation, a bad drought, uh, the way I see it, I think there are there there are going to be some. Uh, some pasture for lease there's going to be some grass it's just people are just waiting 
they're waiting to see uh, how things go, particularly the weather. Yep. Well, and as we look at that, obviously there's so many, so so much knowledge out in the countryside, folks. Uh, I always enjoy talking to my neighbors and that uh, you know our new little homestead that we bought. Just you know what the w- winters were like 30, 40 years ago, and and the one theory is, well, our last huge bad winter that started in the springtime, there was about 300 antelope out on this bottom, and there's about 150 antelope. So they're they're kind of hoping that uh, there's a little bit better uh, uh, moisture come March. I, I like there, that theory. There's a chance. There's a chance. Uh, I mean, we all have to caveat. So uh, I don't know. I, I do think a lot of people would take a pretty bad blizzard and and a chance of frozen calves just to get a little moisture. So maybe, Casey, let's talk about uh, your, your operation uh, out here. And uh, I, I call it South Central, the start of eastern Montana, once you start getting past yeah, that's right. uh, out where you guys are at. But uh, let's just talk about uh, ranching in, in this part of the state of Montana and uh, really how, how you got your start and stayed in uh, production agriculture. Well, just kind of how did I get a start? Well, my folks, you know, came from a ranching family and had moved away for a few years, married a gal from back east, and lived back there for for a time. And, and we're not talking Miles City. Oh. When you yeah. mentioned back east. Yeah, and not North Dakota either. <laughs> <laughs> no, pretty far, almost to the to the eastern seaboard. But uh, it was about 30 years ago that, I, that we came back to Montana. And at that time... Um, because of how bad well see now folks folks memories see you know a lot of folks have pretty short memories because to me you know bad drought i always think back to 88 i was just going to bring bring up the late 80s (laughs) the late 80s and how bad that was and because of that uh you know even even coming from a a ranching family have four brothers and an opportunity to to stay on the ranch uh you know, at that time, it just didn't seem it was going to be possible. So, moved away, got married, and when I did come back, just went to work for other ranches. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the big ranches in, uh, you know, South Central Montana, and did that for quite a few years. And it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. You work for somebody else, and you just spend your days riding. And I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, of course, you reach a point where it's like, God, you know, I wish they start. They would do something like this. And then you realize maybe if you want to do things your way, maybe you better get your own cows. And see, I want to I follow up on that. You know, when, it, when you have maybe had that aha moment or just that, that opportunity, times are right to, to get into your own herd find your own leases, find your own land. But what was it just like cowboying with so many different people? Maybe they were just day riders. Maybe there was old guys that, uh, you know, were, were, were around before there was a lot of fences. I, I love hearing those stories from guys up in Phillips County about yeah. the wide open country. But what was it like just cowboying back back, back here in South Central Montana and Eastern Montana? You know, you meet a lot of different people. And you meet people from all over the Western United, well, mostly Western United States, but I met cowboys that did come. They were from back east or California or where, where have you, areas that you wouldn't think of as cowboy country. But you meet a lot of folks. And not all of them are great folks, but they're all interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some people that really, really good hands. 
really good folks to be around. Sometimes it weren't necessarily the same people. (laughs) You know, it was kind of interesting that there was, because of that drought, because of how bad things were in the late 80s, you know, when I came back in the early 90s, you'd see a lot of, there were a lot of guys older, you know, guys in their 50s, 60s that were that were riding for these ranches. You'd see a lot of really young guys, uh, late teens, 20s. But guys in their 30s and 40s, it seemed that, that uh, the, the wreck of the 80s just, it pushed everybody out of the country yep. because folks couldn't find work, so they left. So I found that kind of interesting. But there were guys like me that were, were moving back that were, were 30 years old and uh, not as many as you'd think. Yep. But uh, I always found that to be kind of an interesting thing about that, that time. Uh, other things that were different, I don't know. It was uh, always interesting working for, because big outfits have just a different way. Mm-hmm. A family operation, you, you do it like the family wants. And I've been around enough, you know, neighbored with or helped or, or whatever that sometimes people have some funny ideas. But uh, one thing about, you know, big operations, kind of, they all work kind of the same. And you don't have to necessarily know the country. You just have to know how, uh, how to run a circle. You know, when the boss puts you out on your end of the circle, you know who's on your left and who's on your right. And if you stay there, you'll you'll be right. You don't have to know where you are. Just stay where you're supposed to be. And uh, I guess I could be one of these old guys that uh, says, well, you know, nowadays it's just not like the way it used to be. But I don't know. I'd have to say that... Uh, uh, from what I'm seeing, things definitely are changing, and it's not all bad. Probably one of the biggest changes I'm seeing is there's a lot of young women that are cowboy now, though, would you say it cowgirling? Cowboy. <laughs> They're cowboying. And they well, your are. your niece cow. Yes, cow indeed. Yeah. Yes, she does. And they're every bit as, they're as capable in fact, in some ways, they, they tend to be more capable. Maybe that's because they feel like they've got something to prove, and so they're going to try that extra little bit. But that's definitely something that I'm seeing is different. Uh, the skill set of most, most of the kids that are cowboying now is definitely really good. Um, yeah, back in the 30, 40 years ago, I don't know that people were as, as handy Though I think that they, they yeah, had a lot why of... Why weren't they as handy? Because that sort of thing had gotten forgotten. You know, it was like... Uh, nowadays, you know, people rope, and they rope like... They can rope. Yeah. But back then, it was like... The only people that really rope were team ropers. And when you were on a ranch, people roped like they were team roping. And I can tell you that <laughs> another one of those aha moments was when I realized, we're not at a team roping. I got all the time in the world to get this done. You I, feel, know? I feel like you're, you're targeting my family out here, too, because <laughs> we rope like team ropers. But, uh, yeah, you got, the ranch is horses. This is the damnedest thing. They, uh, 
a ranch horse, you know, you get get one out of the string and you go to rope off of it and they would, as soon as you threw a rope, they were turning hard to the left because, you know, guys are dallying up or they were, you know, hard and fast guys. Yep. And that horse wanted his butt to the cow just as quick as they could to take the jerk. They didn't want to take it sideways. Mm -hmm. And for a guy like me that did things a little slower, you know, I once you get him caught, I just pick my ground before I go to dally and, yep. and slow things down and until uh, your healer can get in there. Yep. So things like that have changed. I think people, uh, uh, you know, there's been a whole new movement towards, you know, low stress cattle handling and trying to do things a little easier, a little softer. Yep. And hopefully, I'd say a little better. So, and I like how you bring that up. Just that, that, uh, just the techniques of cattle handling. And uh, you know, I was just down at the cattle industry convention and down on the NCBA trade show floor. They have that big arena set up, and, and Dr. Ron Gill and Kirk Pate, they work cattle in that facility every single day doing those workshops. And that is when I get a chance to step away from all the work that we're doing down there and just to watch those two work heifers horseback and uh, to throw those yeah. loops and just to say you know what that's a new technique that i can pick up and again 20 30 years ago there really wasn't those workshops or opportunities to learn from from hands and those two guys are hands that's true and the thing is is that uh, uh you know i honestly think that these things were out there guys knew this because you know you spend your whole life around cattle you you pick this up and it's like you you, stand, you tend to start to think like a cow, and you move like a cow, and so you start working like a cow. But it's uh, one of the problems with the younger generation is that they're not, uh, you know, with social media, and folks are a lot more tuned into the outside world than they used to be. And it's not, even even if you spend all your time on a ranch, you're not just, it's not just horses and cows and grass. It's, you're getting a lot of things from, you know, social media or, or what have you. So I think that uh, guys used to be a lot more in tune. And I think that people were, they knew this, but they weren't given workshops. And they weren't necessarily passing it on to their to people that uh, they that they worked with. They kind of let it for that. Uh, you know, you're working for the ranch. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself as well. So coming back to that uh, point that I, I wanted to get back on the trail with was when you uh, really came to that opportunity to to grow your own herd, start your own herd, maybe look at getting lamb put together. What, what was that like, uh, at, uh, being married and uh, having those conversations? When, when did that moment really come, come to light where you said, you know well, what, we're going we're gonna to make a go of it on our own? Well, we had, uh, even while we were, uh, I was still working, um, started buying cows. And my brother Tom over in Miles City, and I've been kind of in, well, not just him, but, uh, you know, my father is still ranching. And... Um, and then later on, uh, another brother and sister got involved to where it became a, a, a true, you know, family operation. But for the longest time, it was my, my younger brother, Tom, and I. And we'd pick up a lease, and we'd... Uh, so we just kind of 
run cows on a lease and, and for the longest time we were leasing summer pasture and winter pasture. So we were, we were ranching on a total, total lease basis. But uh, I'd work for, uh, work for ranch and Tom was always, he uh, was cow boss at Fort Keogh for, for many years. In fact, just retired here this December. So, uh, so now I guess we can spend all our time ranching together. Yeah. <laughs> but we did that for a long time. And at one point, my wife and I had enough, we had the wherewithal that we could buy a little bit of land. And at least we could, we tied up the, uh, the winter grazing part of our operation. Well, I guess I shouldn't say winter grazing because it wasn't big enough to totally graze everything that we had, but, but at least we had a place to go with them. So we had that and then, uh, and then a summer lease. And that's, we've pretty much grown it from that. Just kind of, you keep, just keeping heifers and just building the herd up. So what is, what is your perfect mama cow? Wow. Well, the perfect mama cow is, gosh, she's going to have, she'll have a calf every year. <laughs> and she's not going to be a problem. And she doesn't eat a whole lot of hay. But, uh, no, in all seriousness, it, there is a perfect cow out there. To me, a perfect cow is not, they're not going to be large frame, though, you know, there's a good argument out there to be said that if you're leasing grass, maybe you better have a big cow that they can eat all of that leased grass that they possibly can. But a medium frame cow, I, I personally like a black, black baldy uh, cross with Hereford bulls, and, but a black hide I really like. I don't have anything against anything. Uh, good Lord, my family, they were Hereford people for the first, you know, 18 years of my life. Yeah. Like just about everybody, everybody. else out yeah. there. <laughs> so I have a soft spot for Herefords, but not for their problems. Uh, a lot of the ranches I worked for had, uh, like Padlock, for instance, they were they were well known to having red, red hides. Yep. And I kind of liked those. They were distinctive. The ranch had, they had a look. And you knew it. And everybody around knew it. And they were not bad cows. And I really, I really enjoyed working them. But to me, I just, I just like these black cattle. Um, as I said, medium frame. Something that's, uh, you know, not too... One thing that my brother and I have always been kind of in agreement on is that, that uh, the milk EPDs on the bulls. We kind of want to keep that, you know... Don't get too crazy on it because one thing I've noticed is that you're, you get too much milk, the longevity of that cow, you're really going to shorten that because they blow out their udders and you're going to have to, you're going to have to <laughs> send her down the road. The other thing is like you get too much milk, you got a little calf hits the ground and now he's got to take all that in. Mm -hmm. They got to be, um, those calves have got to, they can't usually take it all so I think kind of a not too big big and utter seems to work be nice if it kind of grow in in uh, grow as the calf grows but I guess we haven't got to that point yet um, you know the, uh, the their disposition it's always nice to have cows that are just uh, nice sweet gentle cows on the other hand, they can be so doggy when you want to when you want to move them. 
those cows that my wife turns into pets and, you know, hand feed them cake, when you actually need to move them and you get behind them, they, they're like, no, you, you feed me cake. Like, what are you doing? They act insulted and, and upset so that you're actually trying to move them on. So a cow that, I don't know, they act like cows. You know, they're, when you feed them, they, they come up and they like to be fed, but boy, they don't like you much otherwise. Yeah. But I don't want them to a point where they're, you know, trying to kill you because, you know, I've got, <laughs> you know, like like most ranches around, you have uh, friends and folks from town that come out, and uh, you don't want those folks getting trampled by your cows, and I don't want my don't want my wife getting run over by cows either. Yep. I don't want to get run over by cows. <laughs> I'd like to think that I can still move fast, but you know, age is catching up with me. And I kind of jog out of the way anymore. There's nothing <laughs> worse than that uh, feeling of a cow's breath going down. You can just feel it on the back of your neck as you're running for the fence. Uh, <laughs> you're not running fast enough at that point. <laughs> but, you know, when you look back, uh, you know, looking at that opportunity 30 years ago, how incredibly fast does time move, though? I think about this an awful lot. Uh, for one reason, I... Uh, it was 30 years ago this month that uh, I took a job because I was working back east, and it's like, you know what, That's, I'm, I'm going to go calve. <laughs> so I took a job with the padlock, and it was 30 years ago, you know, February 1992. And it's like, and I mainly think this because I found my old day book from 1992. <laughs> and day books are great, by the way. Just for if for no other reason than that, it kind of helped keep up with uh, with well past years. And you just, I cannot believe that 30 years has gone by. You know, uh, my body says, "Yeah, you better believe it, buddy," because <laughs> it's. I can tell you that it's it's a hard life. It truly is. You well know it's. Uh, you cannot spend all your time horseback and get and working cows without getting beat up. And at some point, you know, when you're young, you can kind of laugh it off. But then it's like it's things start to catch up, and you start moving slower, and your back starts hurting. And so you think 30 years. It's, you know, I guess when you really start to think about it, it's, wow, that is a long time. But, no, it's just like it to me, it's just a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember we were talking about my niece who's, I remember just as a little kid riding along, and now I've grown up. So it's one of the strange things in life. I suppose that's uh, you know appreciate it for what it is because the alternative is you're you're not around to yep. enjoy it. And uh, what is your advice to a young couple out there maybe maybe it's a single person but you know maybe maybe they don't have that opportunity to, to go back to a family operation maybe there isn't a family operation maybe they have cowboyed and, and worked for folks forever and uh, you, you know and I, I I've heard the saying from some producer like well why would you spend all that time cowboying for someone when you can build you know your own sometimes you can't do it it's some sometimes sometimes it, factors yes that, that that and, enable that and, and uh so and i take my hat off to to anyone that's going to go out there and work day in and day out to help put food on people's tables and cowboy and fence and do what it takes to make a living and and you know and uh and live for, and the wages we know 
Cowboy doesn't pay the wages sometimes anymore. No. What? What? I guess let's just talk about cowboying today, and then maybe we'll lead into just. The, the advice for people that are trying to make a goal of it, like, well, actually, like you it, and Rebecca were. It's not the advice. It's it's because you're absolutely right. Sometimes that no matter how much a person wants to. I must say my wife and I were just, we were very lucky that we were, uh, because amidst all this, you know, even though I was cowboying, we had bought a house in Sheridan. And it was through the, the equity of that house that we were able to, to, to get the finances. But not everybody can do that. And it's like, in a lot of ways, it was, it was merely luck that Sheridan got to, that, you know, real estate values just went up. Mm-hmm. So, though I came from a, a ranching family, uh, as I'd said before, the opportunity to, for, for my wife and I to go back to the family ranch and make a living there, it, it wasn't there. So working for another, for another outfit was, well, it's what, that was what was open. And I have to say that it was, I do not regret it at all because just as you say, you're still involved in, you're involved in ranching. It's just, you're working for somebody else. And there's some nice things about it. It's like, you know, all those headaches now that, I, <laughs> that I've got, whether it's the drought, price of hay, everything that we've talked about. Um, yeah, you do, have those, you do have the worries when you're just an employee. But, you know, the real, that real deep down worry is not there. I still like to go uh, and, and have day work for some ranches, and I love it because it's like you get away from your own, you get away from the home place, you get to go work for somebody else, and you just work for them. You know, you're just, it's like, I'm not the one making decisions, I'm not the one that have to, you know, if, if somebody makes, makes a bad decision, it's not on me. I'm just here to work. But I'd say that it's a, it's, it's still, it's still a good and honorable thing to do because I honestly believe that uh, after people stop hunting animals and realize, you know, we can take care of them, that uh, cowboying, back in its old form, <laughs> is one of the oldest occupations that mankind has. And because of that, it's got to be, it's, it's a great thing. So... I'd say anybody that wants to, if you have an interest in it, and it's, and you don't have to buy cattle, buy a ranch to be, to be involved. You just have to go higher on. Yeah. And from your perspective, because you're very active in the Montana uh, Farm Bureau and uh, with your county level and, and on the state level, and a lot of the discussions are the transition. How, how do we keep land in production agriculture? How do we be stewards of that land? But the big question is, how do we keep it in production agriculture? What What are some of the challenges that maybe you talk about at the local cafe saying, oh, well, the, the old Johnson place <laughs> is up for sale, and uh, who can afford $4,000 an acre for rangeland? It, it'll never pencil out. What What are some solutions that you talk about with uh, with your peers in the industry on, on how we keep that land in production agriculture? That's a tough question, and it's one that's been going on for 
I've been having this same same conversation for at least 30 to 40 years because it's been probably since the 70s since you could actually make a ranch pencil out with cattle. So, but how to do it, how to, how to pass these on to the next generation. And this is not just the... And it doesn't have to be family either. It does. I was just going to say, it doesn't have to be family, but you're passing it on to the next generation. You're, you're going from from elderly owners and going to pass that on to somebody who's younger who's going to take that and make it their own. How can you do that when uh, there are so many things that are stacked up against uh, first-time owners or young any young operators because now one of the things that we find is that that ranch land is valuable and for somebody who's getting up there in years and it's like they spent their whole life well maybe you know you could sell it to a young couple but you could also sell it to some out-of-staters who are willing to pay huge bucks you know, I cannot blame somebody for, for wanting to get the, the most that they can. It's, it's sad to say, but it's, there it is. On the other hand, there are opportunities there. Because in off times, uh, a, lot of, a lot of times, the new owners are not, they're not ranchers. They're not looking at it for, they just want to own a ranch. You know, they, uh, they watch Yellowstone and they think that ranching <laughs> is all about murdering people and I honestly haven't seen the show. I have no watched way. one episode. <laughs> so somebody told me that they watched it when they were pulling a calf and it was the most ridiculous thing that yeah, they ever saw. It was 400 pounds it was dry and it had an ear tag and a brand in it and that was the episode I watched. And, and they, it jumped up and ran off and yeah. it's... And, and it was, wow. Yeah, it was a cow out in the pasture too. Fall, but, fall time. But <laughs> <laughs> So... So you hear things like that, and you hear that uh, the the show is all about and and yeah, I st- I have a lot of friends that are they're not ranchers, they're they're from cities, they're from back east, and they're like, so is it uh, is what you do like? Well, I have to tell them I, I haven't seen it, so what are you asking about? I mean, is there that much? Do you guys fight amongst yourselves that much? No, I I think Tom and I we will have a yelling match if some something gets a little tense, but it. It's never gone beyond that. I don't think I've ever hit him with a shovel. And okay, not intentionally. I think we were twelve. We were supposed to irrigate, and it's it's a long story, and I feel bad about it. But uh, so that's what that scar is above his eye. Anyhow, where were we? Oh, uh, yeah. So you have out-of-state owners, and sometimes they they want to own the land and. They want a ranch, they want to hunt, but they may not necessarily want to, to graze. And yeah, this year, 2022, it's a, we're in a drought and it's a bad year to try to find, find pasture. But you know, when things are fairly normal, when it's, uh, we get good rain, we have good grass, you can find opportunities for, to lease pasture. And I think it's things like that, that, uh, that there are opportunities for young folks. I'm always reminded of it. I had a friend that uh, he ran, he kind of got his start ranching in Bozeman. 
he went around to all these people. They don't like 10 acres, and they weren't doing anything with it. And he'd go say, can I put some cows here? And he spent his entire summer with electric fence, putting it up, taking it down, mm-hmm. just kind of he because nobody had any fences. He'd just go. He put up an electric fence, and he'd put a few cows in there, and he ran his bulls around and around to, to get them to. But it was the strangest way of, of putting a, a pasture together, but he had a little herd of cows, and he was cowboying. Yep. And it's, uh, I mean, now that's, that's thinking outside the box. And sometimes it's, it's things like that that is what, it's what it takes. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a pat answer for, for any young people that are wanting to get started because it's, um, as I, you've kind of heard throughout my entire conversation, yeah, the way that, that my wife and I got started was, well, I had a family that was already in, in the cow business and I could kind of lean on my folks for a lot of, uh, well, place to put the cows in the winter sometimes uh, for help certainly for advice you know it's always good to have you know a father that spent his entire life at it and you know if you've never seen it before you know he has yep and uh, so yeah I had in a lot of ways my route to to ranching was a little easier than a lot of folks Um, so and it's not it's certainly not the path that that other that someone else could take but there are there are ways to do it and if somebody is really um, if they're wanting to get into ranching they're going to find a way and I just I would just recommend don't you know don't give up on your dream yep. well we're going to stay on that note but we're, we have to take a quick commercial sponsor break but we'll be back here with uh, rancher Casey Mott right after these words. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is the definitive voice of cattle producers in our nation's capital. NCBA yeah, we is are. working on behalf yeah, of members to protect your operation from government overreach and rising taxes. But the cattle business is under pressure, and we need every producer to join us to protect our way of life. Join NCBA today and help us protect the future of your farmer ranch. Visit ncba.org or call 866-233-387 for more information all right again a big thank you to our sponsor of today's uh, podcast uh, we are broadcasting uh, from the expo hall here at metro park in billings montana during the mate show for those of you not familiar with the mate show that means the montana agri-trade exposition don't be getting dirty minds out there talking about going to the mate yeah, that's a he's gonna get your minds out of the gutters listeners but uh, rancher casey mont is joining us and I snagged him away from the Montana Farm Bureau booth. He was sitting there uh, 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 donating his time and of uh, agriculture advocacy and uh, talking with folks about Montana Farm Bureau. But, Casey, you know, we're just kind of shooting from the hip in this conversation. I think we've had a lot of great points that we've brought up, just just BSing, as I, I call my, my uh, conversations here. But, you know, we were talking about just those opportunities of getting into agriculture and not giving up on your dreams. You know, I, I know people that have especially during the 80s uh, my parents generation where it's just like you know what so many people had to go get a job in town they had to go work at the bank they had to go work at the co-op or become a lawyer whatever it might be because so many of that generation that uh, was coming up in the 80s they were told 
that there probably wasn't a great opportunity in agriculture at the time where they were told just plainly go to town and get a job. Because I've heard that from so many, so many of the people that I've worked with and looked up to, but so many have not given up on that dream of getting into agriculture. And they might be 40, 50 years old by the time they actually leased that first place or took over their parents' place. Um, and so I, I guess when we're looking at those dreams, you have to do whatever it takes. And sometimes it takes one or two spouses, or one spouse working in town or both spouses working in town, or as we uh, millennials call it, working from home now because of COVID. But uh, I, I guess what what's a tidbit that you have for folks out there that want to make a go of it, uh, but understand the importance of having those health care benefits from having a spouse work in town or, or whatnot? Well, having a... Uh, and there's another problem. You know, I, uh, back when I first started working for Padlock, I had a great... Uh, there was a cow boss. I, I talked with him a lot because he was just a great guy. He was out of Texas. And he... And... What we talked about was the changing face of ranching. And remember, this is 30 years ago. So, so things have always been changing. And some of the problems may be just a little bit different. But one of the things that he was always saying, because uh, like a lot of these big outfits, they were not close to town. Mm-hmm. And they may have a headquarters that was fairly close. But a lot of the camps and a lot of the places that... that you know, if you're, you've got a riding job, you're going to be you're going to be 80 miles away, and so live in a camp where it wouldn't be possible for your wife to get into town and and work. So, and he was saying that uh, at that time that it was so hard to uh, to find guys because a lot of them they really wanted they had a wife that wanted to work because we were just started you know. The, we think of 30 years ago as being back in the Stone Age, but it actually was, you know, women had been working and had been doing so for for decades, and they expected to. And just because they married a, a cowboy didn't mean that they were that they were wanted to give up on their dreams. And a lot of times it was just they felt that they needed to because extra income, or as you were saying, that very important uh, getting a job with health benefits, which. Uh, you know, it's the older you get, the more you think about. And uh, so it's still the same problem as it was when I was talking with Greg 30 years ago. That uh, how do you get a job on a ranch that uh, a camp job where your wife can still go to town? Mm-hmm. And I'm not so sure that it uh, they're still just as far away as they ever were. But... Now there are more opportunities because, uh, well, my wife, for instance, she she works for Montana Farm Bureau, but she does so from home because with computers and with, well, with a, God, I'm just having, I can't even think. How do you get your, well, with Wi-Fi and things like that where you can, uh, you can work from your computer and then you, you have access to the web or or to a job where you can send in what you have to. Mm-hmm. And I've just marveled she's done this for, well, 30 years. <laughs> and, and I do remember that uh, when we first were, uh, before we uh, bought the house in town, because we felt that maybe that would be the best thing rather than, than taking a camp job and her living out. Um, 
that was one thing she was just not willing to do. She didn't want to live in the trailer house for, for the ranch and, uh, and not be able to work because this was, it was just at a time when there were computers and people were starting to telecommute, which is, I guess, the word back then. But uh, you just didn't have the, uh, the Internet hookup to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, at that time, it was probably another five to ten years before, before you could have really done it easily, as you can now, from just practically anywhere. Good Lord. She t- In the fall, when I, we set up our cow camp to, to ship calves, she brings her computer and she's like, do you need me for the next half hour? I have to write. Yep. <laughs> she'll, she'll sit in the pickup and she'll write. And then when she's done, she comes out, she catches her horse and she, she'll come join us. And that's, but that's where we are now. And because of that, I think that there might be a few more opportunities for people to, uh, you know, I'm not as, as plugged into the, the modern world as, well, certainly you are, to what the opportunities are. Uh, I wish I wasn't as plugged in, but in this line of work, you have to have all these social media accounts. Uh. Well, I just, uh, you know, you know, because you always see these things like make money from home. And I always think that it's uh, there's got to be a problem there, you know, whether it involves like selling some sort of essential oil or taking your clothes off and flashing yourself or what have you, <laughs> you know, opportunities to make money from home. Um all joking aside, there are, there truly are. There's a whole world of, of things to, that people can do. And now that you're, if you're, if you're plugged into the internet and you're just, just a little bit savvy and and good, you can make money. So it's, uh, I think that things are, uh, because, you know, kind of bringing it back. One of the things that that we know. If you're going to going to make a living in agriculture these days, you're going to probably have to have some off the ranch income. And to do that, it used to mean going to town to get a job, but now it doesn't necessarily mean that. And this, it's probably uh, really good for people that are just getting started because, well, you know, you have a lot more opportunity and and for work than we used to back. 30, 40 years ago. You know, when we attend all these meetings and for for decades, when you would attend an agriculture event, it's like, we got to tell our story. we got to tell our story. <laughs> and, and that message has changed a little bit in how these different uh, groups have trained farmers and ranchers in, in telling their story. But I want to jump back to the conversation about Yellowstone. Um, and I've joked about this on on, the, on this podcast before, saying when I when I fly a lot, I always used to get asked, "Are you from Texas?" Because I'd be wearing a hat. And but now it's, "Are you from Montana or Texas?" Because <laughs> yes. folks watch Yellowstone, and when you're going down the uh, in an airport, the amount of Yellowstone apparel in the Salt Lake City airport on a given day, I bet you can see a hundred people just walking from one gate to another wearing Yellowstone uh, gear. But, but coming back to telling our story, and, and so many people are flocking to Montana from these urban 
I, I'm not going to use the term that I was thinking in my yeah, head. Yeah, I was these, thinking it. Uh, I was thinking it. But, but these, uh, <laughs> these uh, urban locations and uh, moving out to Montana from California, from Washington, even from Idaho, I, I truly think it is because people want to have a connection to rural America, even though they don't know what it's like to go chop ice and take care of livestock and, you know, deal with the ins and outs. And Yellowstone is a way for people that's just like that inner, you know, that, that love and that, or maybe that yearning that they didn't know they had to be tied to the West. Because they, to me, there's nothing better than waking up in the cool, dewy morning in your bedroll and that smell of sage or Russian olive. I love Russian olive smell. It just reminds me of the Milk River Valley yeah. up there and working camps. But so many people haven't got that experience, but they watch shows like Yellowstone or, you know, they see their friends going to Montana or buying their houses. Like, in a way, as farmers and ranchers, we should be flattered because they do want to embrace that. How, how do farmers and ranchers take this as an opportunity to, to educate folks about the real ranchers in Montana, not the Kevin Costner Yellowstone ranchers? Well, I, I think you're right. I think we should be flattered. One thing about it, it is about a ranch. I mean, all the, all the kidding and the, uh, you know, killing folks and the stupid calving portrayals <laughs> aside, it is a ranch. It is, uh, they do get a lot of things wrong, but it's, I don't know, I haven't seen it. So uh, people do say that it, Hank it Hollenbeck does. Told, he, rancher Hank Hollenbeck runs Sheep and Cattle. He said, Lane, it's not real. Because he loves the show. He's a rancher goes, it's not real. And I'm like, I guess that's how I need to look at it. Well, that is true. That is true. But there are a lot, millions of people that are getting enjoyment out of this. Yep. And I think, uh, I do wonder if it just, if it speaks to something in all of us. You know, we who are involved in agriculture, who, you know, those of us who ride for a living, I mean, we're, we're as close to it as you can get. And, you know, I could have, uh, when I first got married and was living back east, had I not grown up on a ranch, I honestly think that I could have, you know, had a life there, an enjoyable life, and not thought anything of it. But there was something about the pull of, of, of the range that, you know, it was something that I was not willing to live without. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because, you know, I grew up, I grew up in it. And so I knew what I was missing, but I would, I do wonder if it's something that, you know, a lot of these folks, they see this, this TV show and it's like, they're missing something they didn't know that they were missing. And at least it's, you know, yeah, they're doing some questionable things, but it's, it is a ranch. It's portraying ranching, and I don't believe that it's portraying it in a, uh, in a negative light. You know, your, your listeners can sure call in. They can tell yeah, me I mean, if it's... I am not the, I met Forey Smith one time. We spent a week together. He, he's, he's Lloyd of the TV series. And, and he joked with me. He goes, and I said, I'm not watching. He goes, well, you're not the audience I'm going for. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And people, they love it. And that's... Uh, the thing is, is whether it's Farm Bureau, Stock Growers, or any of these other ad, ag advocacy groups, or you yourself with your podcast and your television show, you can, you can, all of us can be out there telling our message we can say this is what ranching is about this is what we do this is our life and yet we will not 
we're not going to reach a tenth of the people that show like Yellowstone can. And so there, there it is. It's, it's big and it's, uh, it's probably when you say ranching, particularly ranching in Montana, that's what comes to mind for folks. Yep. And uh, one thing about it, because maybe not so much me, but it's my wife who she still uh, keeps up with a lot of her friends from back east, and a lot of them will ask, you know, well, you know, I love this show. Of course, before it was it was Longmire, the one set down. Oh yeah, in, yeah, yeah. Which God, I hate that show. <laughs> <laughs> well. I shouldn't hate it. I love the books. I've read everyone. I, I really do like the books. Uh, you know, Craig Johnson did a good job with it. But the, the television show is just same thing. When I, I saw this episode where they had somebody who was stealing a potload of cattle and they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they set the pot on its pins and they took the truck out from underneath it. And, of course, the, they threw the driver in with the cows. And it's like one of the guys like, well... I think he's lying. Well, how come? Because he didn't smell. I don't know. Anybody that's loaded a cattle pot, if you can come out without being just painted. <laughs> Anyhow, that's what. And that's the problem. If you're in the business and you watch these shows, it's like, that's ridiculous. People don't do that. That's not, it's not true to life. But the folks out there who, they don't know that. Yep. You know, the only time they ever see a cattle pot is maybe going down the highway. But uh, they don't know the what it's like to load one they wouldn't even know how yep. so yeah of course we complain about it but it's this is how people are getting their information about our industry and it's yeah it's wrong but uh, at least people are they're wearing Yellowstone apparel like you're saying they want to wear a cowboy hat they want to be they want to be a cowboy. Well, and there's so many of, of, of folks my age that um, either they're, they've started their own operation or they're expanding the presence of their family's farm or ranch uh, on Instagram. It's amazing how many ranches now have their own apparel. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and it's true. I, I have so many, fr- uh, so many friends that I've met through being a farm broadcaster and just being on Instagram. And how when they're when they're saying we pay the bills because we have a T-shirt with our logo on it, because somebody bought their maybe they bought beef directly from them at one point and they and they want to advertise for you know the people that they're buying their beef from or uh, I, I've just seen this so many so many different even in the dairy industry one of my friends I was a state FFA officer with he is probably one of the biggest influencers on TikTok um, and I don't have a TikTok account because I think I'd get too obsessed with it um, but. I mean, he's probably the biggest influencer in the dairy industry out of Iowa. And it's just amazing how just having that following, people want to be connected with that farmer, even though 10 years ago people didn't, people still don't know what GMO crops are actually growing in the U.S. Right. Um, and it's so odd today that you don't hear too much about GMOs anymore. Uh, no. yeah, I hear about them, but not, not quite as much. Not like you did. And the, the thing is that the other side, you know, they had they had the entire conversation mm-hmm. you know we were trying to chip away on the edge of it you were trying to get a word in edgewise when you had these people it was like anti-gmo anti-beef anti everything agriculture and uh i think maybe this is where a show like yellowstone has a pot positive influence yeah. because 
it takes that the air out of the conversation that the uh, that the antis were dominating, yep. and uh, where your friends are, all these people that are they're selling this apparel because because of Yellowstone, because that became popular, and now you know it's like you could wear Yellowstone apparel, a coat, you know, a hat, you know, a, a hoodie or what have you, and but if you want to be real authentic, you get a hoodie from an actual ranch, not just a TV ranch. Yep. You know, one up all your friends there in the city. I, I'm gonna have to start s- selling Elbar Seven uh, apparel. You for, know, for our little uh, broke farm. You know, now that you mention it, I think that uh, gonna have to get with my wife, and we're gonna have to come up with. <laughs> and, and my suggestion, I think you need a mascot, and I think it should be a horny toad. You know, you're right. And you're for, right. For our listeners, uh, Casey, Casey's a huge influencer on Facebook. Uh, he, he has millions of followers, uh, I, I being one of them. And I, I always enjoy it when you, when you catch a horny toad, especially the little tiny ones, and put it on, on your horn of your saddle. So the, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, I, I grew up in northern Utah. And that's where my family ranched before we moved to Montana back in. I didn't know that. Seriously? I did not know that. A lot of people I'm didn't. Learning. Now you, now, I, now you know. So, know now. Yeah, so northern Utah, and it's kind of high desert country. Um, tell you that it's a lot different from Montana in that there is just not that much grass. A lot of sagebrush. Mm-hmm. And horny toads. So as a little kid, spent a lot of time just catching horny toads. Maybe describe that for our listeners that don't know what a horny toad is. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what a horny toad is. But uh, here we do. I might have listeners in California that don't know what a horny toad is. Well, okay, a horny toad. I think they're actually horned lizards. Is is they're lizards? They're not toads. And I like to tell people that they they are truly little dinosaurs. Yeah. Because they have, they have horns, a uh, couple, like two sets of horns on their on their head, just like a dinosaur, and then the row of spikes around down their side, and they're about in our country, you know, the biggest ones I see would be about three inches, yeah, about yeah, three, three inches, and you know, in Utah they were a lot bigger. Uh, <laughs> Now, many, many years ago, I, I was in the Marines back in 29 Palms out in the Mojave Desert, and I caught horny toads out there that were a foot long. These were, they were monsters, and I would keep them as pets because, well, that's what you do. <laughs> so it's just this, this uh, horny toad obsession has just continued, and so there's, there's enough horny toads in Montana that I... Every one I catch, because I did it when I was a kid, I did it when I was in the Marines. If I if I see a horny toad, I gotta catch him. And you catch it. So what do you do with it? Well, if I'm out riding, I would usually like put him in a pocket or uh, like you know your shirt pocket. Or if you want to carry him home, you put him in your hat where he kind of rides in your hair for a while. <laughs> but now because you know, and I, this the last what. 10 years or so since you have a, a smartphone that you can take pictures and, and then put them online. <laughs> I just take pictures of them. And uh, because uh, I don't know how it started, but I would put them on the on the, uh, the saddle horn because, you know, horny toad, saddle horn, it kind of, uh, horny toad. On a okay. horn. 
Yeah, it's yeah. it's a bad joke, but it. I, I get it. Well, I <laughs> I think everybody that, that sees it, they get it too. But uh, so I take pictures of these horny toads, and they're they're funny little guys because they're. You'd think that like a lot of lizards, you catch like as soon as you let go of them, they run away. But these guys don't. They just sort of. Oh, that's their lot in life. They're gonna get pictures taken of them. And I don't know. I think maybe they like riding on the horse. Yeah. So they get around a little faster. They get around a little yeah. faster, and it's like you gotta. You gotta. Uh, sorry, I just saw somebody. Yeah, you got somebody just asked for your <laughs> so, autograph there. I know you got. There you go because I'm the, the. Yeah, you had to sign an autograph there. Yeah, because I'm the horny toad whisperer. <laughs> but. I don't know. I like them, and it's like I have a lot of friends on Facebook from Texas, and of course, being Texans, there it's like, wow, those aren't very big. We have a lot, of, lot bigger ones here in Texas. I said that's true, but then they also add that, well, you just don't see them like you used to, and like a lot of things, I just have to, okay. So why is that? And I did a little research, and I think one of the reasons because they have the fire ants. Really, the fire ants that have come into Texas. They, you know, they spray or do try to get rid of the fire ants, and it kills all the other ants, which are horny toad, horny toad food. Yeah. So, so there you go. That's your uh, uh, your naturalist well, uh, bit for the day. I, so, <laughs> so, you know, I'd always find horny toads there, especially if you're in the uh, Missouri River breaks. And I was, I'd always bring them home. And you, I put them in a Coke can sometimes, okay. you know, you cut the top off. And, and I was the type, like, if I found a turtle, I'd bring it home, put it in the old clawfoot tub in the basement, not tell my mom about it for a few days, and she'd make me go let it out. But I, I kept a horny toad one time. He got big. I had a big aquarium. Finally, I just, I had to let him go. He was getting too, eating too many crickets. But <laughs> Well, yeah, and when you're a kid, you kind of get bored of, like, yeah, I've had him for a couple of days. I, I want to go find something else. But you didn't take rattlesnakes home, did you? No, I, I I'm scared of snakes. I, I had a I had a brother that he he took rattlesnakes. You had a brother? Home. Still have had it. Okay. I was I'm like, was he the trying to tame a snake there? Or? No, no, no. He's uh, but he used to catch rattlesnakes uh, and take them home. Stinking things. Ugh. He'd like find a beer bottle and he'd like get a little baby one and put it and then he'd carve a carve a cork out of a sagebrush and. Then he'd take it home. And I tell you what, my, my oh. poor mother, she was. Now, the one day my brothers and I all got together and decided that uh, we needed to have a snake live in the house because that just seemed like the best thing ever. Maybe watching that Wild Kingdom show. But uh, You can watch that on RFD-TV. Really? I, or, or I'm thinking Mutual of Omaha. That's the That's one. A, yeah, they, That's they, the one. they re-air those on RFD-TV oh, now. Oh, I'll have to watch yeah. that because... Yeah. Anyhow, so we caught this big uh, bull snake, and for listeners who don't know what a bull snake is, it's a, uh, I think its actual name is like a western gopher snake, but bull snakes, they look just like rattlesnakes, and they act like rattlesnakes. They kind they're of, kind they, of just assholes, that's yeah, a good way to describe it to they're me. They're great snakes, so they oh, don't they bite. Eat, they eat a lot of stuff, but they'll hiss and scare you. They do. Oh. If, if you get past that, then you, you catch them, and then you, you take them, and you... <laughs> When your mom is gone, you put them in the house, and then you have the best half hour ever chasing the snake around, just thinking, you know, as little boys, we thought this was great. Until the snake had had enough, and he got in a corner, and then he started striking at us. And it's like, well, we couldn't get him. 
<laughs> and it's like, what are we going to Oh, boy. Then I think it dawned what was going to happen. So we had to fess up to Dad what we were up to. And he's like, now, boys, you know, your mother wouldn't appreciate this. So he went in and threw a, threw a coat over it and took it out and said, now, you be sure you take it far away. So... <laughs> And no more snakes in the house. So that was just snakes. The horny toads, that was, yeah, <laughs> lots of those. You know, just, just being out on the range and, and being horseback, you know, obviously my main career, and I always talk about this, is being a farm okay. broadcaster because it supplements that habit of wanting to own more cows and, and try to acquire more debt through land and whatnot. Sure, but you're famous. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really famous. <laughs> but but, yeah. Everybody comes by here. at the. It's, everybody seems to know you. Oh, yeah. They, they think I'm Russell Nimitz, though. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, got no comment to that. Got no comment. But, you, you know, we, we all, to me, just being horseback, whether that's just riding around in the round pen or just being out and about, it, it, it's the greatest It's the greatest therapy on earth, especially for me. And, uh, you know, for yourself, just being horseback, being out there doing that, waking up in a bed, bed roller or being in a camp, What what is the best day for you? What's the perfect day? You know, the way to answer that is I'm not sure that there is a perfect day because what makes what you're describing, being horseback, the best thing ever is that there's never the same day. Because I love calving in the spring. I love pairing out, tagging calves and pairing out. You know, trying to get these little, get Junior to follow Mom and get him to, Get them to just track out and, and uh, go to a new pasture. And I love, you know, branding time. Branding time is always, you know, that's always the best. And and a lot of that is because you, you meet a lot of old friends and, you know, branding is so much fun. And, you know, taking a new horse into Branding Corral and, and getting him working and getting him to do his job, there, there is nothing better than that, especially when... when you're on your game and roping really well. And then those days in the summer when you're just you're just out checking pasture. You're just you're looking at the cows, you're looking at the grass, the water, and it's a good year. And things are going right. And those days are good. And the fall, love the fall because things are just, you know, uh, cold mornings and you get started and you start bringing cows in. So I can't say that there was ever a perfect day, but every season would have its perfect day. Well, and that's like I mentioned, smelling those uh, uh, Russian olives, which I know are an invasive species, but just that smell, it takes me back to just when I was young and yeah. on, a, on, a, on a horse you grew up with that you knew that your dad knew wasn't going to do anything and it probably just bring <laughs> you home if, if anything did happen. But just that, 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 that trigger, just that smell, and it just reminds me of uh, Milk River Valley, of People's Creek, where my dad's family's from. It, it, I don't know. And, again, I think it ties back to that yearning of always wanting, you know, to be a part of that in some way. And, again, why yeah. people are enjoying watching Yellowstone and flocking to Montana. Well, if, they could, if you could somehow, you know, bottle that essence. But it wouldn't work because, you know, because you're – your memory is tied to your childhood. Mine is uh, 
it, kind of the same thing. It's not Russian olive, but curly cup gumweed. Okay, yeah. Which, uh, once again, it's another, <laughs> another uh, invasive, not so good weed that will take over. But I tell you what, in the fall, when it's like you know the cattle start walking through it, and you get that that really pungent smell that you can only get from that mm-hmm. gumweed. That reminds me of, of, you know, fall days trailing cattle in Utah. And it, it, it's a very strong memory. So somehow you'd have to, like, you'd have to implant the, the image to the people as well. <laughs> Which, well, like horny toads, they have a smell. They do. Like I'm in my mind right now. I'm I'm picturing that those little buggers with their little claws, just kind of right there, and you get that little uh, reptile smell. Or, reptile smell. Uh, yep. Oh, they're great little things. <laughs> and they're uh, unlike like real toads. Like you pick them up, and they seem to piss all over you. Yeah. You know, horny toads don't. They're they're kind of clean little creatures. All right, I'm just thinking of Cosmo Kramer when he wanted to get that cologne line. I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld, but he swam in the in the river, and uh, he pitched this idea of having a cologne line that smelled like the uh, the Hudson or these whatever river he was swimming Good in. Good lord! <laughs> it just oh, I, I love Seinfeld. That, that this this podcast is kind of like Seinfeld. It's truly a show about nothing because we never know exactly right. what we're going to talk about uh, when we start these out. But I do want to just touch on just being involved in advocacy because uh, the people that have attended a Montana Farm Bureau uh, event, um, I, I know the brothers Mott um, have been known to take to the delegate floor uh, opposing or supporting different types of uh, policy for Montana Farm Bureau. And most of the time you have opposing views on those. I know the last two years you really haven't had that opportunity to, to, because, well, I think the parliamentarian wanted the the process to go along speedily because of COVID, but. uh, No, it wasn't that. That was (laughs) (laughs) part of the thing is uh, here last year, I was elected to uh, as the, the district director for uh, District 4, which is Bighorn, Yellowstone, Carbon, Stillwater, and Sweetgrass counties. So being a district director, I can't get on the floor and argue with my brother. Now, the funniest thing about that, people that, that are involved with, with Farm Bureau have that have been on the floor and that have seen my brother and I in action, they honestly think that we hate each other. <laughs> they think that, okay, just, just like Yellowstone that we're out there, it's fisticuffs every day that you're out working because we just cannot get along. But uh, <laughs> we get along great. And as I say, there, there have been some times that we have not, that uh, working cows just hasn't gone, gone that smooth. But for the most part, you know, we're, we're, we're on the same page. You know, and we work pretty, pretty smoothly. We've got another brother. He's uh, he works for USDA down in Denver, and he's he's got some cows, and he comes up to help. And once again, you know, he just sort of, I don't know. That's the best part about family is you just kind of. I think families either they either work well together or they just don't work well at all. And we have a family that seems to just to, that we kind of work together pretty seamlessly. Well, again, it, uh, I, I, I guess I didn't realize that district directors couldn't get down on the floor and... and, and uh, I can't, and, and it's too bad because, <laughs> God, I just listened to my brother say something and i got to get up there and argue with him. Maybe this just stems back from our, 
you know, bull snake. The bull snake incident. The bull snake incident or catching horny toads. I think there's some some sort of long lost childhood trauma that we're trying to work through. <laughs> but back to that advocacy point, uh, you know, obviously you guys are busy day in and day out on, on the operation and helping neighbors, but and obviously you're tied into Farm Bureau a little more because of your wife uh, and her communications role with Montana Farm Bureau, but why is it important for you to, to you know, take the time to be a volunteer leader and uh, what's the value in it for you? Well, because I guess to answer that is we just cannot leave it up to Yellowstone because it, it's if we were just to let, you know, a television show kind of try to tell our story, well, we've neither of us have watched it, so it's like I don't know if they're telling it, if they're telling a good story. You know, I, I do think that it, it has some value. It gets people kind of, you know, thinking about ranching in a maybe more positive light. But here's where you have to go on and, and then it's up to us producers people that are in that are farming and ranching we're the ones that have to get out there and and kind of we have to go to bat for our industry because if we don't i guarantee nobody else out there is you know it's if yellowstone is is kind of doing good by us it's well it's only by default not not because of a plan and I think anybody that's involved in agriculture, I know we're always busy. This is this is the real problem. Uh, most other industries are set up in that they can hire people to do their advocacy for them. Uh, there are whole, you know, people that do nothing but advocate or agitate for some particular cause or another and get paid for it. But in agriculture, People just don't do that. There's nobody that's really out there doing it for us. You know, we have to, we have to do it. The problem is we work. And, you know, agriculture is one of those things that it's like there's not an awful lot of, you know, once you're done working, it's like the last thing you want to do is, you know, start, <laughs> write a letter to the editor or get in touch with a newspaper or, you know, argue with people on Facebook. That one really doesn't work. People never listen on Facebook. <laughs> well, and, and, and when folks put in an effort to attack people within their own industry, I, I, that frustrates me. It does. It's like, you know, yeah, we're, we're kind of rivals. It's like being the United States of America and all these different, you know, Montana and Texas are going to argue and, and spar and fight and decide who has bigger horny toads but <laughs> we're still the united states and we still need to remember that yeah you can do a little bit of infighting if you know be nicer if it was more good natured but uh the problem is is that uh, a lot of times we argue it's it's what we we think we're arguing over market share you know the the beef industry is mad because you know the dairy industry sells cows and we think that that you know takes market share from us but you know we're all it's all agriculture and we tear down the dairy industry it does nothing it really doesn't help us because uh because to a consumer a cow is a cow a cow's a cow what we need to do is to tell them why our angus cattle are superior 
how come cattle in Montana and the Northern Plains are better than any other cattle in the entire world? You know, that's a story that we can tell because it's, it's, it's demonstrably true. So we need to do things like that, not, not try to tear at each other. Um, that's what adv- advocacy is. It's not, tra- you know, there's a lot of other people out there that need to be taken down. Not, not other folks in agriculture. What's, uh, what was the last book that you read? <laughs> what is the last book I read? Uh, I'm trying to think. I go through so many books, I'm trying to think what the, you know, I'm like reading three books right now. <laughs> and so. So what are you reading right now then? <laughs> Honestly, the last book I read was Lord of the Rings. Really? Yeah. The whole, the, all, all the books? I just got done reading the last one. And did you start with The Hobbit, or did you just start with The Lord of the Rings? Oh, I did The Lord of the Rings. Okay. So, uh, because I really enjoy reading just about anything. And, but one of the things that I really enjoy, I like reading history. Uh, I actually got a degree, a bachelor's degree in history. And so, uh, I'm having a hard time thinking the name of the book. Um, James Horn Fisher, he's a naval historian. I like, really like reading naval history. Really? And uh, he had a book, uh, Neptune's Inferno, that was really good. I would recommend that anybody that's interested in the Second World War naval history, and in particular, the Guadalcanal campaign. Oh. So, that, that, we, so I, I love history as well, and uh, I, I listen to books just because I get up at 3 every day, and I'm reading. Yeah. reading markets news all day my eyes just hurt by the end of the day but i'm the type that when i go to bed my mind's still going so i listen to books and uh i'm finishing up a book on uh, winston churchill right now really and uh you know everyone hears about winston during world war ii and his role there but uh truly you talk about a man that i mean did so much what what you know was a part of Cavalry charges was in two Absolutely. Boer wars and was a prisoner of war. Was a part of an English, you know, aristocracy that doesn't, you know, I mean, truly just a man that was born to save the world. Um, I think that was his. That was his role. I mean, the book I'm reading is called Walking with Destiny, or maybe was that the book he wrote? I, I don't even know. It's just on my uh, Amazon, whatever it's called, whatever the app is. Somebody will send me an email saying I don't know what my app is, but. Um, <laughs> It does happen, but I, I I just love history because or, or fantasy or uh, and, and and fiction and everything like that just because it takes my mind off all the all of the issues within our world. But uh, it, for our listeners out there, that if if you want to learn something about a man that truly was born to to save our world, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. Another thing to point out about Winston Churchill was Winston Churchill went through some pretty <laughs> well. Things did not always go his way, and he picked himself up after some pretty major defeats. And how could you go from a naval defeat, uh, Gallipoli? Gallipoli, yes. And then truly decide, you know what? I have to go into the trenches to redeem myself. Yes. And went into the trenches, trenches, on the Western Front, and led assaults. And yeah, uh, yeah, very, very. I don't know. I, I just encourage people. I, I just think so many of the time you just see him and Stalin and Roosevelt sitting in Yalta, and that's maybe the image that, that people you right. know, see of Winston Churchill. But 
I mean, to, to become prime minister in your 60s and again in your 80s, um, I, I don't know. It's it, it truly does. I and again, this is maybe getting too phil, uh, philosophical or, or religious, but I, I do believe that God puts people on this earth uh, to to save it, to bring light to it. I think so because I mean, you look at you know Neville Chamberlain, the prime minister that kind of caused the problem, um, the Second World War, trying to appease Hitler. I mean, we have a lot of history today i mean actually today yeah yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> you know when you're trying to appease a dictator and it's yes. like people please please could we just kind of look at history a little and let's learn from it instead of you don't appease these guys yep. and you think that you're trying to avoid pain now but it just brings more pain down the road but uh yeah i uh Another good book I read was James, uh, uh, President Garfield. Garfield, that's a good one. I, I, mean, I have not, I, I've read about Garfield. Another, the problem with uh, a lot of the presidents of the 19th century is they tended to, between, you know, Abraham Lincoln, such a larger than life figure, and then the disaster of the Grant presidency. Though I read, it's been a couple of years, I read uh, uh, the, auto, the biography on Grant. Mm-hmm. Grant by uh, Ron Chernow. Yeah, it was just, yep. It's on my list. Actually, I think Ron wrote the one. He did uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Yep, and that was a. Uh, I, uh, I'm just looking at my library here. Um, sorry, I'm just looking. No, uh, Destiny of the Republic. That was the one on uh, Garfield. But for a man to go to his uh, the Republican convention just to, to vote who was going to be the nominee on pre- to be the president yeah. presidential nominee for the GOP and for him to not want it, and then he becomes uh, well, president. It, it, I, was uh, a, it was a different time, yep. and different politics were a little bit different. You know, the uh, what they called the spoils system yep. was was endemic at the time, and which was you know people they threw their vote and uh, and got votes with the expectation that you got a government job for them, yep. and usually one where you would uh, make that was pretty lucrative. And it was kind of, it was a corrupt system. Thank you. Um, and as we uh, look at uh, the opportunity to uh, look at other books here, um, is, it, is that ice hockey or football? I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sorry, we, we just got handed an ad to read here. Uh, but uh, another one on uh, Tom, Thomas Marr was uh, The Immortal Irishman. Yeah. Have you read that one? Yeah. Yeah, about Tom. Another interesting life of, you know, a man who, you know. <laughs> Started a rebellion that really wasn't ran a rebellion. A, <laughs> ran afoul of the, of the British, and they were, they were basically exiling him, and he ends up in America. Yep. And a Union general uh, led the Irish Brigade, uh, well, to disaster at Fredericksburg. But well, again, that's it, why Sherman. Um, yeah, that that was interesting. I mean, he let him. He was, he didn't want to, but yeah. Well, yes. but he was he was a pro. And a lot of times, 
things things happened back then out of uh, it was politics. Oh yeah. You know, people think that this like kind of the seedy side of politics is only a modern day. Like we've never seen politics. We've never been more divided. Well, good God, we fought a civil war 150 years ago because we were divided. Yep. So yes, we have been more divided. But people don't. And Marr got his job because, as a prominent Irishman, and you know, Lincoln wanted he wanted these Irish immigrants to enlist, and so he got Marr yep. to uh, to lead. Because he the, was a great order. He was, and uh, yeah, and then to become governor of our territory. But he came out here to create a new Ireland, though. Well, essentially. Because that, that was always his, that was, you know, Ireland was always on his mind. Yep. And I, what I really would like to know, the one thing I'd like to know about Mars' life was like, did he jump or was he pushed? And that's, you see, that, the Immortal <laughs> Irishman, it tells that non-Montana Historical Society perspective saying that he was pushed and, and dead before he hit the, or, you know, dead while he was in the water. Yeah, but how do they know that? Because they never I, found I, his body. Exactly. But uh, they, they uh, gave enough evidence there saying, you know, he should have washed up somewhere along the Missouri. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, but, but the interesting point, though, is the man that supposedly had him killed, his daughter-in-law founded the Montana Historical Society. Well. So yeah. a lot of Montana history has, <laughs> you know, portrayed yeah. him as a drunk, which he, he, he enjoyed drinking. <laughs> he so did. So did Winston Churchill, though, too. Yes, yes, but it was like, uh, you know, it was a time when drinking and drinking to excess was, was looked at a bit differently. Yep, yep. But no, I, I, I just love history. I, I just love those books. And don't get me started on the Borgias. But, uh. Uh, that's, I have not gone that far back. But I, I, I really like to, uh, Napoleon. Yes. Is, that's another, another area. That's great. Uh, the book you have to read uh, on that is uh, Moscow, eighteen twelve. Okay, it's about the retreat. Actually, not just the retreat, but uh, Napoleon going into Russia mm-hmm. and then coming back out. Yep, and it's just utterly harrowing. And you know, one of the things that uh, that was so interesting about that was that because he took uh, like five hundred thousand cavalry. And didn't come out with quite that many. But the French cavalry did very poorly on the retreat. Uh, Poland, because the Polish hate the, the Russians, they, they sided with Napoleon. And their cavalry did very well, but see, they were from that area, and they knew that in a winter you had to sharpshoe your horses. Yep. And the French did not know that. So they, were, they had slick shoes, and they had a lot of trouble because of that these little things i just find that because i sharpshot my horses the other day <laughs> you know i always think about that yep. you know if only napoleon would have known that you got to sharpshoot your horses <laughs> that should be the title of this one actually i think it might be horny toad whisperer my horny opinion. toad whisperer yeah but well well casey uh, we've been talking over 100 or an hour and 20 minutes here it doesn't seem like that but uh uh, I should probably let you go do your duties over at the Farm Bureau booth. Probably but, uh, should, yeah. I'm yeah. surprised Ricky hasn't texted me saying, hey, where's where's my guy? Actually, my phone's on silent. So, um, I, I turned mine off so that I probably got a whole bunch <laughs> that are going to pile up. But uh, any any last thoughts? Uh, again, this is truly the podcast about nothing. In, uh, yeah, podcast about nothing. I just uh, – uh, 
one of the latest books that I am reading, uh, it's, a, it's a, if you want to call it a history of the periodic table of elements. It's called The Dip, Disappearing Spoon. Okay. And the guy's just, uh, you know, er, most of the elements and, and stories about them and the people that discovered them. And uh, the problem is I'm not a uh, physicist or have a whole lot of uh, knowledge that way. But this was just interesting. And, uh, you know, you learn something. I'm learning an awful lot because, as I say, I don't know an awful lot about chemistry or that, so... Well, again, it's, uh, that's why I always tell people, take the time to read or listen to books like well, I listen, do nowadays. Well, listen, I do that as well because now that with the smartphone and uh, since the radio went out in the tractor when I feed, <laughs> it's just so much easier. You do that, you shoe horses, you, you know, fix fence, you just listen to a book. Yep. And it's too bad because I don't have as much time to listen to you or Russell on the radio. Oh, well, you know... Some, most days we got good news, but some days we got to share that bad news just so people know what, what decisions they, they, they need to be making. Well, or that's the about. thing. You have to, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. If it was only good, then if you only heard what you wanted to, you know, you'd get a very a skewed view of. We'd all be John Dutton's, which is the the Kevin Costner character on Yellowstone. We'd all be flying around in helicopters if everything went good. Flying around in a helicopter. Then you wouldn't be horseback, would you? Uh, exactly. I know. I know. Yeah, I was around a helicopter once trying to gather cattle. It did not go well. <laughs> Didn't go well at all. Well, friends, again, <laughs> this has uh, been a great conversation um, with uh, rancher Casey Mott, the uh, self-proclaimed uh, uh, horny toad whisperer. Um, again, it's just great to be able to catch up with uh, guys like Casey here at the Mate Show and uh, really just talk about what's going on. Yeah, this, is, this has been a good time. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. All righty. Hey, thank you so much to our sponsor of today's show and, of course, to all of our listeners out there that truly just like tuning in to Agriculture Conversations and, and having a little bit of cowboy talk here today on the Lancast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.